Hello everyone, welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl and I talk about how you can start, run and sell a bootstrap business. This episode is called How I Approach Pricing for a Brand New SaaS. Before I get started talking about dollars and cents today, I would like to ask you, my dear listener, for a favor. Rob Walling and the folks over at MicroConf are hosting the first ever SaaS podcast awards this year. In fact, I'll just let Rob tell you all about it himself for a minute. It's been a long year, but one of the great things we can take from 2020 is the abundance of high-quality podcasts for bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped founders to learn from those working on ambitious, profit-focused SaaS companies. The folks from MicroConf are devoting the rest of this year to celebrating those shows. So I'm here to announce the first of its kind, SaaS Podcast Awards. Head over to sasspodcastawards.com to nominate your favorite shows across four categories. Best SaaS Podcast, Best Host or Hosts, Best Episode, and Best Company or Founder Story. Once nominations wrap up, we'll count the ballots and pull out the top five nominees in each category. Then you'll have a chance to vote for the best of the best. We'll announce the winners before the end of the year. Just a heads up that Startup for the Rest of Us and the MicroConf Podcast are not eligible for these awards. So right now, you can head over to sasspodcastawards.com to nominate your favorites. Help spread the word by using hashtag sasspodcastawards and hashtag microconf on Twitter. I'd love for the Bootstrap Founder Podcast to be nominated. So if you want to support me and the show, please head over to sasspodcastawards.com and nominate the Bootstrap Founder. I'll be incredibly grateful for your support. All right, so let's get started. It's pricing week for PermanentLink. A few weeks ago, when I made the product public, it only had one price. I pretty much guessed a random number to start with, and I think I landed on $25 per month just by assuming what I would like the price to be. In the weeks after, I had a number of conversations with prospective customers, and it was becoming clear that I was serving multiple audience segments with the same product, and each one had its own kind of pricing expectations. So 25 bucks a month wouldn't cut it, and I really needed to think about how I would approach my pricing. At the same time, I've been focused on actually building the products that I myself can use in my own work. So the calls that I had with prospects weren't really sales calls. They were more validation calls meant to verify that my assumptions weren't completely wrong. However, I snuck in a few questions every now and then that I thought would help me figure out how much they were already paying for similar things and what their budgets were so I would have some data to go on. And that's what I want to share with you today, how I approach pricing for a business that doesn't have any customers yet. And no paying customers means that I can't just increase prices and see if people churn, right? That this kind of um, elasticity doesn't exist just yet. This whole thing will more be an exercise in research and data interpretation than it is in real customer feedback. And when I started approaching pricing, I started with introspection. Because um, in my own experience, the most robust pricing systems are based on the value metric of the customer. Intercom charges for the help desk by the amount of active users in your product, and MailChimp charges by the amount of people on your email list. They found the one thing that allows them to make more money when you make more money. And uh, when I tweeted about this whole project a few weeks ago, my dear Twitter friends Simon and Brennan immediately started talking about this particular thing. How much would people pay for something that's both very simple 
and also expected to be around forever. And what's the motivation of writers to have their links be reliable and customizable, which is what Permanent Link does. And that's where the introspection came in, because I'm also a writer. I understand my own motivations when I write and when I release books. And I figured out the most important thing for a writer is to sell books. Right? Increasing book sales is the primary goal of any author in some way or another. Right? Some might try to increase the amount of books they sell. Some might try to increase the amount of dollars they make from selling the books. But selling books is the whole point. But for pricing a product in this space... I would need to have access to the sales figures of authors if I wanted to scale my own pricing along that, right? If I wanted to charge for permanent link in some relation to the number of books sold, I would need insight into numbers that authors likely won't even share. In fact, many authors, and that includes myself, we don't even know the sales figures of our books until two or three months after the sales take place. Publishers and distributors are quite slow with these numbers. It's not just COVID-related at this point. Um... There's just really a couple special rules in publishing. Like books are often considered returned or returnable, and they are reimbursed a few weeks later. That you can, um, if a, if a store doesn't sell them, right? You you might initially sell them to a bookstore, only for them to be returned and reimbursed in a couple of weeks. And that certainly makes counting sales reliably, or um, I mean, in, in a way that you can expect them. That makes it very hard. And so with sales numbers that I don't get to see, which pretty much means I don't have any sales numbers to go on, what's the next best indicator for the success of an author? And which of those numbers could I reliably measure myself in my product or from my customers? So I have three things here. First thing would be the amount of distinguishable people clicking links in a book. How about that? If I could track them like intercom tracks active users in your product, like a cookie or something, I could charge by the amount of readers, which would be quite close to the amount of books sold, I would assume. But wouldn't it collide with my privacy-first approach? I mean, right now I don't use cookies or any kind of tracking that would allow me to identify a reader. The only thing I track is the login state of the users of my tool, not the people that actually click those links. And I don't really want to do that either. So active readers probably wouldn't work for me. The second thing I was thinking about was counting link clicks and charging for click volume. And that might work. And I could probably count those reliably. And in fact, I already collect those metrics for the link analytics feature that I offer within Permanent Link. And this would also scale pretty well with my expenses, right? The more links are clicked, the more database space will be used and the more bandwidth will be required. So click volume is a much better candidate than active readers. And on a less real-time level, right, not taking into account the actual usage of the product on the side of the customer's customers, right, the, the readers, not the authors, the two more measurable items. And that would be the amount of books an author wants to have represented on the platform and the number of permanent links in those books, either for each book or overall. And I think I could create a few tiers here, like creating a few segments that are priced according to how much I assume each customer would be able to pay for where they are at in their career. Right? A beginner would only need one book and a couple links, while the seasoned author will have a few books under their belt, and anyone beyond a few books could be considered a publisher, maybe even an author who's written like 10, 20, 30 books. To me, in, in some way, that's more a publisher than an author with their own tier. And while this doesn't necessarily scale along the value metric of book sales, 
the idea of book and link count as a potential metric is a good candidate too. So the interesting thing here is that for authors, their sales figures are pretty much unplannable anyway, particularly when they're self-published. The whole endeavor is a gamble, more often than not. You don't know if the book is going to succeed or not. And even if you go with a distributor or publisher, it's not really clear. So if I priced along link clicks exclusively, this could quickly get quite expensive for books with many links. And I mean, looking at the the world of books out there, in, in some way this would punish authors who want their readers to have a lot of useful links and references compared to the ones who only have a few links in their book that are not as immersive. Also, I I really wonder what I should do when a customer hits the link click cap of their tier. Should I just, like, what should happen? Should I just, like, uh, not forward their readers to links anymore until the author upgrades their plan? Um, the problem with link clicks and pricing along this, I would, wouldn't even call it a user metric because it's a metric caused by the customers of my user the problem with whole, this, this, this whole thing is that it's very surprising. The whole point of my service is that it's supposed to be reliable and non-surprising. Any price, pricing scheme that scales with the usage that is not incurred by my customer directly, but by their customers, has the risk of accumulating charges the, the user just doesn't expect. And it can also be abused. Like imagine like a botnet spamming link forwarding and causing a lot of fees for the customer and for myself. Or it could be neglected, and and some link to make turns it uh, is just turned into like a scam or a spam link, and and people um, abuse the system like that, or just ignorance could cause financial damage and reputational damage to my users, and those are people who I want to build a decade long business relationship with. So I feel pricing along link clicks is a gamble, and th- then I was thinking if I were to segment my pricing tiers by book and link count, like the third option. I could make this much more predictable for my customers, even though it doesn't necessarily scale along their value metric completely. But the technical implementation of the redirect isn't the expensive part of the business. So it doesn't matter if the links got clicked a couple hundred, a couple thousand, a couple 10,000 times, it's negligible. The problem is the analytics and data collection part, because that's expensive. So no matter how many links are clicked, my customers would know when they'd need to upgrade because I could pretty much clearly tell them from the analytics data. Like they would run into tier limitations um, while they use the product, when they create a new link or a new book project, and this would not be a surprise to them. It would certainly scale well with the expenses they incur, and I always have the option to reach out to people anyway, if there's any, any abuse or any kind of ignorance or negligence-based problem. So while counting clicks is closer to the customer value metric, I will choose book and link count for now. I might consider a very high link click cap somewhere in there to protect myself against usage that could be destructive to my platform. But that's something I can introduce later. The most important part, um, the core value is in providing some sort of pricing that scales well enough with the, I guess, author career of my customers and is predictable and planable for them. So for now, having made this choice of pricing along book and link counts, that leads me to the tiers, right? There's always like, uh, how, what's my value metric? How do I set it up? And then how much do I actually charge? And the second part, how do I set it up? The tiers, that's what I'm going to talk about now. How many do I want to offer? 
And during my calls with prospects over the last couple of weeks, I found that there's three distinct customer personas, which is quite helpful because I always like the three-tiered approach to SaaS. And it makes it very easy for people to figure out where they are if they consider themselves uh, novices, they use the cheapest tier. If they consider themselves professionals, they use the middle tier. And if they're super experts, they usually go for the higher tier, at least in an abstract way. So um, having these three customer personas really helps. I'm just going to list them here. There's the first-time author trying to make sure that their book would be a success in the future, and that would be the novice. Then there's the professional writer having run into into the issue of Linkrod before and understanding the concept why I've built this project and trying to make sure that their work stays relevant and reachable, which would be the professional, the middle tier. And then there's the publisher. And that's pretty much anyone who has to deal with multiple books by multiple authors. So that would be the expert tier. Initially, my target audience was the professional writer almost exclusively. But now that I've seen these three groups, I want to make sure that the service also provides value to the beginners. And I don't want my users to outgrow my service, though. Um, so I need to be able to fulfill the requirements when they start writing and selling more down the line as well. Right? That means three tiers, beginner, professional, and publisher. The middle tier is the one I find myself in. So that looks good to me. So I know like where the, the bulk of my work is going to go. And that leaves me with probably the hardest choice. And that's the third part here, and that's dollar values. And thankfully, this is not a completely new industry. Because while resilient link forwarding is a rather novel concept, redirection, link shortening, and branding are not. There are lots of competitive alternatives around uh, in the space that authors could and do use to accomplish parts of what permanent link offers. Not everything. Now, um, permanent link has a couple things that nobody else does, but the basic idea uh, can already be done, can already be solved technically. I'm not just talking about um, competitors here, not just businesses, right? Anything that gets the job done is a competitive alternative. And that leads me to the two main things that people do and people currently do to retain control over the links. Either they have some sort of script or configuration on their own blogs or websites, which is a competitive alternative. It's not a business that somebody runs. It's something that somebody builds for themselves. Or... They actually use a competitor and use a link shortener service that allows for branding and custom domains. Neither of those solutions notifies them when links break or keeps detailed author-specific analytics, like which readers their links uh, are opened on, like which the Kindle, something like that, or how far in the book the readers got, which is stuff that I intend to provide. Then, but that's the value that I'm adding with my product, right? The basic feature of link forwarding is solvable, and people are using solutions for this already. So since we know that, we know they already have a budget for this, and professional authors consider this a professional expense, how much do they usually pay for this? And that's what I looked into. The first solution, running a script on your own server, that while it requires some technical skill, it's usually fairly cheap. You host a PHP script on a shared server, or to just have control over an HD access file or something like that, and that might set you back 10 bucks a month. If you want to have a fast system with a custom domain attached, you're probably looking at something around 20 bucks a month. And for the link shortening services, pricing turns out to be around $30 a month for any meaningful usage. Most services like Rebrandly or Bitly have a free tier with a number of links, sometimes even allowing for custom domains in the free tier, but more often than not, you have to pay for custom domains. And they have 500 links, maybe 1,000 usually included. And there's services that charge by link clicks, capping, 
um, this twenty to thirty dollar tier, somewhere between fifteen and twenty five thousand clicks. So, if I look at the industry as a whole, for an average author, we can expect a monthly cost for a solution to this problem to be between ten dollars and thirty dollars, and that's a good data point to have. Because this price segment also shows one very important thing. This is a service that is considered to be cheap and reliable. People expect it to be cheap and reliable. People don't interact with those link forwarding services much. Once they create a link, they expect to just have it stick around forever. The monthly fee in this case is more of an insurance payment. Right? At best, they won't have to hear from my business ever again after they've added their links. They put it in there and it works forever. Put it in the book, the book works forever. They essentially are buying peace of mind. And for some reason, that usually can't be too expensive. People don't like paying a lot, even though the value is high, if they don't see it every day, if they're not reminded of it. And that kind of limits my pricing. At least that's what I feel. And it kind of needs to be low enough to compete with these existing solutions and low enough for them to not wonder if they are getting enough value just because they're not consistently reminded of this. So who do I want to serve most, right? And what's my motivation with this? I want to help authors who aren't yet making millions of their books. I want them to have access to a reliable service that was built by an author and for authors. And I want them to be professionals, even when they're just starting out. That also heavily influences my initial pricing. And particularly my first few customers will be early adopters and innovators, people who take a risk, right? I'll be pricing permanent link for what it will be, not for what it is right now. Plenty of features are currently missing, or at least very rudimentary, but that's fine as long as the core functionality is there. And I won't spend a year building the world's most technically brilliant and complex link forwarding system that nobody will use. I just want customers to try this product now and give me their feedback immediately. So all of this leads to rather low prices in the beginning. So here's what I've come up with. There will be three tiers with subscriptions um, that have fees of $5, $10, and $25 per month. In addition, yearly subscriptions will be offered for $50, $250, respectively. Um, The $5 a month tier will be limited to one book and a few hundred links, and it will be called Beginner because that doesn't just accurately reflect who will use the tier. It will also make customers consider upgrading to a more professionally named plan when they themselves feel they're more professional. You know, there's always a little bit of psychology in there. But that's the basic plan. One book, couple links. So the moment you write another book, you have to upgrade. Then you um, get into the $10 a month plan, which I call professional. It'll be limited to five books or some similar number with 500 links overall. This number might change. I might need to change, which I will see by who actually puts links into this and how many they have per book. But the idea is that users are prevented from just adding more and more links to the same book project, thus never upgrading to the final tier. And that final tier is the publisher tier, which is the unlimited plan. And as many books and links as you want for 25 bucks a month, I know it's risky and I'm considering adding limits for this one as well. And then adding an enterprise tier if anyone needs more than that. But I think for now, if somebody trusts me enough, they'll get 25 bucks a month. Um, They have to pay that and they'll get whatever they need for a few years, right? I won't make the same mistake of grandfathering in users indefinitely again this time around. 
you can uh, read more about that in the Zero to Salt, uh, my book, which I wrote um, as a yeah kind of story, a history of running Feedback Panda and all the learnings we had from that and the pricing approach and the mistakes we made with that at Feedback Panda are in there as well. And that's where my grandfathering story comes from. So I guess there we have it. Um, five bucks, 10 bucks and 25 bucks with a um, yearly plan that is 10 times that, saving two months each as a kind of incentive for people to subscribe to a long-term plan, which for my tool is pretty important because it's supposed to be a software service that people use for many, many years. So having a yearly plan is quite important to, from the beginning, which is why it's already in there. Um, that's how I've determined the pricing for permanent link right now and today, right? It could change next week. It could change when somebody um, tells me more when I learn something that I didn't include in my pricing calculations before. So it'll be fluent because pricing is really never done. But if you ever wanted to know how I approach this complicated issue, I hope this provided some insight. In other news, I've been uh, using this week to do more dog fooding like I already did last week. I added more links, um, more permanent links to my book Zero to Sold, which I will soon, I guess, um, update for at least the Kindle version and the, the Gumroad version as well so that the new links that I put in there can actually start uh, accumulating clicks and I get some analytics and I can actually use this in my own tool to make the tool better and more useful. So um, I'm already trying to use my own project for my own book and that was really super helpful. I ran into a number of small issues that I had to fix this week, stuff like filter in the link list and sorting, being able to sort the list and making links um, more quickly copyable. So just small things that have a lot of workflow impact that make using the tool faster and just create less friction there. And I find myself noticing that currently I'm avoiding sales conversations because I'm really still trying to build the thing that I need. And I had a couple of writers reach out over the last week, couple of weeks being interested in a pilot project. So well, I need to double down on, double down on this because I myself, great that I'm the first customer and customer number one, but I need other people too, their insight, and I'm actually using it for their currently like more nascent projects, right? Be zero to sold is done. I just need to add links to a book, but the whole writing a book and adding links at the same time, I can't really do at this point. So I need other people to do it. And um, I honestly, I feel I also really just need to record a short video showing very clearly what permanent link does and use that for my in-community marketing, even maybe even put it on my landing page. I think I'll use this week to write a script and do a little recording for that, just showing how I use it to add a link to my book. So all new marketing material that's going to come out next week. I guess that's my plan for this week, and I'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening to the Bootser Founder Podcast today. You can find me on Twitter at avidkal, A-R-V-I-D-K-E-H-L. And you can check out the blog at thebootstrapfounder.com. You can find my books here to sold at zerotosoldbook.com. If you have any questions about this episode, reach out on Twitter or send an email to arvid at thebootstrapfounder.com. If you want to support me in the Bootstrap Founder podcast, please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. It'll help other founders or founders to be to find the podcast and learn more about starting, running, or selling their bootstrap businesses. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.